Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And we will get into a ridiculous week of cricket in a few moments time but first of all what a week it has been for zero ducks given because we've peaked we've completed twitter i don't know if you spotted this but the very very popular twitter account accidental partridge which tweets things that have happened in the real world that look like something that would happen in an episode of i'm alan partridge tweeted our very own daniel norcross if you listen to last week's podcast Daniel briefly forgot he was on the BBC and thought he was here on Zero Dutch Given, and he compared Joan Bakewell to Adolf Hitler. And that bit of audio made it onto the accidental partridge Twitter account. Frankly, I'm stunned it's taken this long for Daniel Norcross to appear on accidental partridge. That man must be an absolute walking goldmine for that Twitter account. Uh, but they tweeted out that clip. It went down very, very well. We've garnered some more popularity and followers off the back of it as well. So thank you very much, Accidental Partridge. Uh, but yeah, Daniel Norcross and Accidental Partridge, a match made in heaven. And I was just about to say that Daniel is not here to defend himself, but he has just popped up on the Zoom call. So let me explain. It was just going to be myself and Finney, but Daniel has appeared. He is currently in India and he's flown from South Africa oh, to no. India. Oh, and he's just dropped something immediately. A seamless entrance from Daniel Norcross. Daniel, uh, talk us through your, your journey. Where have you been? Oh. Lovely to see you, by the way. There's lots of noises coming from your... I can't actually see you. There he is. What what have you been doing? Yeah. Oh, right. Well, I'll talk you through it. Oh, crikey. I've left a bit of a mark on the sheets. And that's... Oh. A, that's a, that's my shoes, my shoes. I was going to say, well, at your age, I think that's to be expected. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so shagged. So at uh, 9.30 yesterday morning, Cape Town time, I got a cab to the airport and something shameful happened. Well, I say shameful. I've reconciled myself to it, but 
I'm going to put it, I'm just going to come clean. I'm going to let you know what I did. So the background is I've got to get ultimately from Cape Town to Doha, three hour layover, Doha to Delhi, six hour layover, Delhi to indoor, as in the place, not indoors. As my colleague Fionn Wynn mistakenly thought when I said that the test match had been moved from Dharamsala to indoor, which would have been a really big story, actually, wouldn't it? But there you go. So I've got this like 30 hour journey ahead of me. And the first part of it has gone swimmingly. I've gone through customs and whatnot, you know, gone through the, the security bit. And then I go out, and you know, like when you've like done all the beep, beep, take your belt off, all that crap. And I've got two and a quarter hours to kill. I'm thinking breakfast, coffees, smoking room. They've got a smoking room in Cape Town. And I see that there's like no shops or anything. There's just a queue. So I said to this, this one, where's the smoking room? She says, it's, um, well, it's at the end of that queue. I said, oh, it looks like a very long queue. She said, yes, there's a problem with passport control. And I said, well, why didn't he show your passport? We've already done this. Haven't we? I'm leaving anyway. Who needs to see my passport? She said, would you like me to give you accessibility access? And she had this wheelchair. <laughs> oh, God. So, right, I, I, I struggled with myself for about two seconds. Realised I got 300 rand in my pocket that was not going to get spent unless I could get through to having a coffee anyway. And 300 rand is worth about 15 quid, so you can, which is quite a lot in South Africa. So I very gingerly said, I'll go on then. So she puts me in this wheelchair, and she wheels me past a queue, the like of which I have never seen. It went on and on and on. The first part of the queue was just a long, straight line queue. Then I go left, and it's the snaky, snaky, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out. But there's like about 15 of these rows of and unbelievably, she's wheeled me all the way up to just behind a man who genuinely needed a wheelchair. Oh, God. <laughs> and because uh, and, it's quite embarrassing, the whole thing, the whole, getting through the whole queue took about five minutes. So you can imagine how long that queue was if you're in a wheelchair with quite a robust woman pushing you. That's how long the queue was. Five minutes of barging people at the way. Sorry, 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 she said, excuse me. And and sweat's starting to appear on my brow, and I'm feeling like slightly shameful about it. So I'm clutching my my calf and like wincing, you know, in pain, that sort of thing. Sort of pretending that I'm genuinely disabled. And get get to the passport bit, show the passport. And she was sort of about to let me off. I said, "Can can you just get me past the queue and about a little bit further on towards the smoking area?" just so as I don't suddenly leap out of the wheelchair like Lazarus and start <laughs> bounding off down the concourse. So she did. And so I gave her 100 rand and then looked around. There were a couple of people. So I had the, you know, the bit in the, the Usual Suspects when he first leaves the police station at the end and he's still got his limp, guys are so say. Yep. So I, start, I, I kept the limp for a bit as people... <laughs> ran past me because they were now late for their flights. This is so immoral. I saw, I saw I've let about 15 of them go and thought, I think I'm all right now. And then I moved into full walking Kaiser. So so I headed into the smoking room, puffed away and I had, I had a really lovely, relaxed two hours. 
before I let's get on. I'd that, pop back to it. It's great. In a, in a life full of immoral moments, I think you may have finally hit rock bottom. I've got a few a few points immediately uh, spring to mind. First of all, you've, you're leaving Cape Town after the Women's Cricket World Cup. You are, no. although you're not exactly Benedict Cumberbatch, you are in cricket circles quite famous and recognisable. And so there was a good chance that people in that queue know who Daniel Norcross yeah. is. Well, I bowed my head quite a bit and I, okay. and I put the bag, I've got quite a large carry-on bag, which I sort of snuggled and hid behind. Okay. And I made slight moaning noises. Basically. Ooh, my, ah, ooh. You know? <laughs> my, my second point is that there was a pretty much a 90% chance those people that were in that queue were going to see you later in the terminal. And... Oh, I know. And that, that was a thing that did rather bother me. You don't yes. look bothered because you're smiling a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, no, it's it when I say bothered, I, I thought I'd have a tactical decision to make it. So, so I kept my head down and um, and hoped that they didn't really clock it. Because right. you sort of expect somebody being taken on a wheelchair just to be somebody who needs to be in a wheelchair, don't you? Rather than somebody who just can't be asked to stand queue for a cigarette. Queue anyone else? Well, I mean... Well, that, I wouldn't have had the cigarette. I'd have had to. I'd have had to rust out on the plane. I wouldn't have had the fact. Yeah, well, then that completely justifies your actions. Because my my <laughs> third and my third and final point is, um, I think it's very telling that that a lady put you in a wheelchair, wheeled you past by the sound of things, hundreds of people, and every right. single one of those person looked at you and went, "Yeah, he looks disabled." Nobody questioned, <laughs> and that, and I think that's a worry as well. Mm. Well, I'm not 100% sure whether that's true because I did get some of the evils occasionally, but I just didn't hold the hold the eye pose, <laughs> you know. Well, um, I, I, I think the majority of people just assume that you're not a terrible cad and there's something wrong with you. Yeah. But I think there were some who mm. were clocking that something wasn't quite right about yeah. me in the wheelchair. But well, I did, you know, I tried to look more than normally useless. Mm. I mean, that useless is the wrong word. That's not fair. I tried to look more than normally disheveled mm. just to sort well, of give the general impression of inability to to, to walk or stand right um well so I presented a bit like somebody who needed help let's put it that way which well, which uh, which i think passed muster for a bit of the way uh so that yeah that was that was quite humiliating um and then I arrived in Doha at half past 11 at night at a three-hour layover and then arrived in Delhi at uh, eight o'clock in the morning their time and didn't leave till 2.30. And I've arrived in the cleanest city in India, it's called. It says it everywhere. It's the cleanest city in India. Clean stadium, clean city. Um, it's still unbelievably chaotic. If you've like, not slept for 30 hours in the night before that, you went on the RAS because it was a World Cup final. You only had four hours sleep and you were packing and all that. So you, you started your day hungover and disheveled and shamefully in a wheelchair. Um, and then you get into a very bustling bustling city on a tuk-tuk where it feels like you're about to be knocked out of it at any given moment because we then had to go to the ground because Colo needs to set up doesn't he because the best match starts tomorrow or by the time you're listening to this yesterday probably um uh, and so i literally got in 
I spoke to my wife for twenty minutes and called you. That's that has been okay. That well, is, I've had I've had well, half an hour. Thank you for joining us. Not on the mood. Okay. It's well, thank you, you for joining us. Well, we weren't <laughs> expecting you, so it is an unexpected pleasure. So, Stephen Finn, a few things that uh, I need to come to you with straight away. First of all, uh, your reaction to Daniel Norcross um, taking full advantage of a well, a wheelchair that's available to smoke a cigarette. But just, just what, what, what's your immediate gut reaction to that, Stephen Finn? Well, like everyone else listening to this, I'd say disgusted, mm. embarrassed <laughs> that I'm associated with him in any way. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's uh, morally correct and. The fact that he was smiling all the way through that story, I think, says a lot about the man. Look at him. I've never seen him so happy with himself. And, I'm, and smiling, you... I'm smiling with embarrassment. I'm smiling with genuine embarrassment. Well, I'd like to I'd like to uh, I'd like to just point out, as always, and uh, we should really put this disclaimer at the start of every single episode. But the views and actions of Daniel Norcross do not necessarily represent those of the rest of Zero Ducks given. I'd like to make that <laughs> abundantly clear straight away. Nor do we compare Joan Beckwell to Hitler. I just want to make that all abundantly clear. Um, but Finney, also, it sounds like because, well, I'm the only one here, as always, this podcast would fall apart at the seams without me because Daniel Norcross has not slept in about 30 hours. And Finney, you look very, very sleepy. I'm going to level with you. You're currently in a sort of, in a tribute to John Motson, I guess, a sort of full sheepskin jumper. And you've got your little hat on and you've got a coffee in hand. You've been doing the overnight coverage on the ridiculous England versus New Zealand test match, which we will come to in a few moments' time. But yeah, you've uh, you've been up in the middle of the night for five days, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a it's been a strange experience adjusting your body clock. And the annoying thing is actually that by the time your body clock's adjusted, the test match is finished. So now I'm nocturnal, um, but the test is finished. So I've got to get myself back on um, UK time. Although saying that, I I am actually whoring myself out and working for Sky for the next three ODIs against Bangladesh, which are 4.30 call times in the morning. So um, I can't complain too much if I keep putting myself forward for this work. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird experience actually because you sort of come in vision every now and again. But then in between that, you're sort of half asleep, half dozing, keeping your eye on the cricket and seeing what's going on um, in an attempt not to miss anything. So luckily... My my little snoozes throughout this test match that I had, I didn't actually miss any of the significant moments, which I think is an achievement in itself. Well, it um, it just well, I, well, well that, that's I mean that's also a big claim. Sorry, it's quite a big claim because because when the test match is decided by one run, it's quite feasible to suggest that every moment was significant. Well, yeah, but also it's <laughs> test match cricket. I mean. <laughs> it's, it's, there are far more nuanced periods of play than bringing it down to just one particular ball, like the wide that was bowled by Neil Wagner, the ball before he got Jimmy Anderson out. That one could be a contentious, oh. um, a contentious point for people to discuss. But yeah, it's uh, over the course of a five-day test match, I did miss a few balls, I'll be honest, but obviously none of those were significant. Well, you were very good at blagging it because you couldn't tell that you'd missed any of the cricket, you and Cookie. And then, yeah, you're whoring yourself out. So you're straight over from BT Sport to Sky. I expect nothing less from a man who, you know, turned his back on his boyhood club and joined Sussex a couple of years ago. You know, you'll just go wherever the money is, really, won't you, Philly? Um, I wouldn't quite put my leaving Middlesex like that. <laughs> um, more the other way around. Um, but no, it's... 
it's the sort of thing that well I, i'm i'm sort of incapacitated at the moment aren't i i'm still hobbling around a little bit so um as long as i can complete my rehab and training in and around my other commitments when we're still six weeks away from the beginning of the season i believe it's fair game to be able to uh spread your wings and branch out and and do other things and experience other things that's my excuse. Well, it's nice to see somebody yeah, in this I, podcast I, I, career I'd like going from strength Finney. to strength. Yes, Metal Cross. What I would support, you like to support, support him about? I support Finney. I support Finney entirely in this. I, I, I think it's marvellous to see him try his hand at everything. It's a, no one should be tied down. I mean, look, I, I'm in it. I'm doing this for SEN, for heaven's sake. I find myself in a chaotic situation. I, I'm no different to Hall. We're both the same. We're both sluts. Running <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> widely prostituting ourselves for sometimes meager shilling, sometimes for for really undeserved quantities of money and sometimes for just about the right amount and more fool the people who pay us too much is the way I see it and um, uh, and, and why not uh, that, that, I, I just, just want to be you know, very a, supportive of What a horrible Finney. image of you two as sluts I've now got burned into my psyche for the rest of this podcast. Um, now Finney I do have to ask you why why are you so much more intelligent on BT Sport than you are on this podcast? I, I so I was I was watching the I was watching the test for the first I was normally watching till lunch every night and then I was sort of dozing in bed with our headphones in listening to it as well, but still with the BT Sport coverage on. And I kept waking up in the middle of the night to hear you and Cookie, you know, droning on about something. But every now and then it was like you'd you'd bought word of the day toilet paper. I heard a recalibrate, <laughs> I heard a profligate. That you never produce these sort of words on the podcast. What's what's got into you, Finney? Well, I swallowed a thesaurus obviously before I went on air. But I think it's like a a fight or flight sort of thing. You either brain either kicks in and actually works for the three minutes that you're talking, and then it just relaxes the rest of the time, um, or you'd run off set, I suppose, and and not go back. So, yeah, you, you feel slightly under pressure to make yourself sound more intelligent than you actually are and i'm glad that i'm semi pulling it off i think but yeah there, there were there were a couple of instances where cookie sort of turned to me whilst he was off camera and i was talking as if he was saying like what this isn't the person that i played cricket with <laughs> <laughs> it's hanging out with you well Norcross. you know and it's not it's, it's not the first time he's done it it's not the first time he's done it We're in the ashes coverage when he was out in australia and um and i bill tufflin and i were doing it exhaustedly from a studio in central London, he suddenly came up with hegemony. He suddenly started talking about hegemonies. And it's like, you know, hegemonies is that that's that's some serious political philosophical weirdness going on there. I mean he, he was elevating the entire broadcast, frankly. Especially hence me and Tuttle half asleep at one end. And he's suddenly invoking the great political writer and thinker Gramsci. Always very bizarre. He does this every now and then, you know. It's weird. I think he's. You know, I think he might be an inverted snob. I think he's doing an open university degree in something really difficult. He's not told us. Yeah, all he, he just my calls... brain's not capable of that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. He just tends to call me a twat on this podcast. That's about as highbrow as it gets. But then as soon as you get him in front of a TV camera, suddenly he's Oscar Wilde. Um, well, well, no, I just speak the truth. That's, right, okay. If I call you a twat, you're a twat. If, <laughs> if I say something's, um, if I say something is profligate, then it's profligate. Um, so yeah, I, I speak truth, and that's it. Nothing less. Sometimes a four-letter word is all you need. Well, I think I think what we should do is how many games are you doing for Sky? Do you know yet, Finny? 
uh, all three of the ODIs. Oh, well, this is wonderful. So what we need is people, to, when this goes out, tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod. Let's get a long word that we you have to sneak into your punditry at some point. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a brilliant idea. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> yes. So please tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod as soon as you've listened to this podcast uh, and we'll we'll go through them. And we'll send some words to Finney, and he has to try and weave them seamlessly into his Sky Sports cricket punditry. They have to be semi-realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give you ones. We'll give you ones that are. Possible. It can't be poo or something. <laughs> no, 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 Although I could, no, no, no. I could get poo in there. That was yeah. a poo shot think... from Josh Butler. <laughs> I think I think consequentialism is where we want you to go. Yeah, because I sometimes I sometimes think that there's that with basketball, brilliant as it is, that. The kind of deontological imperative, you can use that if you want, the Kantian deontological imperative of entertainment and being positive at all times, sometimes doesn't take into account the consequence, you know, the John Stewart million consequentialism. You might know better, Finney, I'm sure you do from your Open University <laughs> degree, is utilitarianism of not enforcing the follow-on or enforcing the follow-on because it is only through enforcing not enforcing that follow-on, or rather enforcing the follow-on, that um, that they were able to lose that game, it seems to me. But then you could argue against that. But at least if you set that argument up, I think consequentialism is a nice word for you to get in. How you'll do that in a one-day international? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> talk about, I suppose you can talk about it in terms of like how hard you, in, you intend to go up front. Is it something that you just have to do as a principle? Or do you have to take into account through the consequential nature of what that might result in, especially in those tricky Bangladesh pitches, which they won't be used to. You, you can blag it. And what's that they are going to be tricky, yeah. Professor Finn, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be fine. This is TV you. Finn we're talking about. TV Finn's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, that's Pod Finny, less so, but TV Finn's a genius. Uh, well, Finny, if well, you this are going to... This is my lowbrow um, release. Everyone yeah. needs a release at some stage, don't they? <laughs> you guys who go out and drink 10 pints on a Saturday night, that's their release. My release is coming on here for 45 minutes a week and just being a potty mouth. Well, good. I'm glad that I'm glad that we serve a purpose for you every week. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, I guess if you are going to stay up for, for five nights in the middle of the night, Finney, it helps to have a good test match to watch and just a ridiculous test match that it feels like only this new ridiculous England team could produce. I mean, I was saying to Finney before we started recording, I think Basball has not just impacted the players, but the fan base as well, because I normally, when we've lost a test match by one run, by one run after having the option of the follow-on, Earlier on in the test match, it's only the fifth time it's happened in test history where a team has been forced to follow on and not gone on to win. I should be absolutely furious. I should be gutted. I should be devastated. I love the England test team so much. I care about their results. And yet, when I watched poor Jimmy Anderson get out and England lose by one run, my reaction was just sort of a aloof, oh, wow, well, that sucks, but what a bloody test match. It's, 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 that's the McCullum and Stokes effect. I mean... Finney, I don't know how what yours and Cookies was reaction in the studio because presumably your England fans for influence desperate to see the guys do well. Was it was there a similar feeling between you and Cookie? Yeah, I think the difference between this era and previous eras is the fact that they've been open about what they're trying to achieve. I think previously there's been quite a divide and a barrier between the media and the team about what the actual end goal is. I think the previous administration always talked about planning, planning, planning towards the ashes, then got battered in the ashes and everyone was like, well, what the fuck have you been planning for for the last four years and resting people at times? I think um, Stokes and McCullum have come in and said, we're going to play our best team in every single game. We're going to try and win every single game and we want to entertain people. Um, and you can't argue that even though they lost this test match, it was bloody entertaining all the way through. And I think people accept that and people warm to that kind of communication from the team and from the hierarchy. It was also brilliant for Basball, really, because Basball was starting to get a bit boring. You know, England turn up, pull off an absolutely ridiculous run chase, and everyone was getting a bit bored of it. Now they could finally set up only the second time in history that a side has lost, and indeed a side won by one run. And I put it to both of you that that is the best, most exciting result you can get. Because a tie, everyone thinks, oh, a tie must be brilliant. But actually a tie is just like getting a nine-down draw. Both sides feel a little bit manky at the end of it because the one that was nine-down has got is celebrating when they've actually should probably have lost it. And neither of you actually won. But getting that moment, if you win by one run, I mean, that has to be the greatest feeling in test cricket hasn't it taking that 10th wicket I, th- I think it's true I think Edgebaston was by two runs is obviously like the most exciting test match I can remember and I do think having a winner and a loser adds to the drama more than a than a tie Finney have you been involved in any professional one run wins not one run wins I mean, in one day cricket maybe I think we've won a few very very tight games but in terms of test match games that have gone right down to the wire the closest international one that I played in was Australia, England versus Australia at Trent Bridge in 2013, where Jimmy Anderson bowled that marathon spell 
and we reviewed the last wicket when he bowled an off cut oh, right. to Haddon and he outside edged right. it and the umpire didn't give it and we reviewed it and then the feeling of watching that spike come up on the snicko for us to win the game by I think it was 13 runs in the end which felt at the time unbelievably tight that feeling of relief and the fact it was a full house at Trent Bridge as well and the whole place erupts and we're all sprinting around the pitch like we've scored the winner in the Champions League final that that feeling is one that you can't um, that you can't replace and actually and that's the beauty of test match cricket is that yeah, you can win tight one-day games, tight T20 games, but you're so quickly on to the next game after that. It sort of doesn't feel quite as big. But if you're tussling over the course of five days, you're both physically and mentally exhausted and it comes down to that last moment on the last day. That is what's really special. Um, and both teams would have felt that yesterday and both teams could have been on either side of it. Um, and judging by the pictures that we saw coming out of New Zealand, they both celebrated what a great test match it was um, afterwards together as well. So it's always going to be different for a one-day game, isn't it? Because it's the it's the taking of that 20th wicket. You know, I mean, one-day games are kind of set up, designed in a way to try and get you closer. So T20 games, you went by one run, you know, that that can that doesn't happen that uncommonly. And indeed, 50-over cricket, let's go on, but it does happen. But it's when you've, like two innings of, of of twenty wickets each, and it comes down to one run, is preposterous and beautiful and magnificent and a testament to the enduring awesomeness of baseball. What what are they going to come up with next? You know, honestly, I, I, I struggle. I struggle to work out what the next phase of it is. Really, it's got to be a, to win the test. It's got to be a one run victory next, isn't it? That's the next stage of baseball. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The evolution. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the the thing is, you've the, what they've done this winter has been unprecedented. To win four out of five away test matches and be on the cusp of winning five out of five is unprecedented. And people talk about being strong at home and, and as strong as you possibly can be and winning everything at home. Most teams in the world do that. So for them to go away and do what they've done this winter has been special. But I think no one can hide away from the fact that the ultimate test for Basball uh, and for the way in which this team plays is going to be the Ashes and doing it against Australia and then backing it up against India next winter. Those are the two toughest series that you can play. Australia are the sort of people and the sort of characters that aren't going to want to be bullied by people playing in that manner. So they're going to come out fighting themselves and try and find a way of countering it, which I think is going to be fascinating. And then India in India, as we've seen with Australia playing there at the moment, that is arguably the hardest tour to go on in the world. And they're going to have to find a way of countering those conditions over there with Ashwin and Jadeja and finding a way of scoring against them. So, yeah, I think this has been amazing. I think when you're talking about what's next for Basball, doing it against those two teams is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I completely agree. Although I do also say that, you know, that this England side on the McCollum it's you know it failed against South Africa once in the summer and everyone said okay here we go and then they won the series then they said okay but New Zealand are bringing up bringing a proper bowling attack and they proved it then they did it against India at home then they did Pakistan away when people said okay but does it work in the subcontinent and then you know in, in New Zealand a very tough place to go they were one run away from winning that series as well so uh, I completely agree they've got the two hardest challenges coming up but so far they have actually answered every single challenge that's been thrown their way but this Ashes is set up this has got to be the best Ashes series the most exciting before an Ashes series since 2005 for me, Norcross? It is. 
isn't it? And and I've got the great pleasure of watching an Australian side that's had its brain melted by India and been making some very curious selection decisions. And Josh Hazelwood seems to have hurt his Achilles. He's gone home. Which <clears throat> also, as a programme, should send our sympathies to Pat Cummins, whose whose mother is gravely yeah. ill. So they are they've they've got problems with their quick bowling resources for a variety of reasons. Uh, Mitchell Stark is not has not got a great record in India in Test matches. They suddenly flew in Matt Kuhneman, uh and left out Ashton Agar, who they sent on the tour. And you know, Finney will remember when it, when he had a, a, a similar kind of experience when he got picked for a tour and then you know deemed unselectable, which must be absolutely heartbreaking for him he took it very very well but i didn't <laughs> I, I didn't i took it fucking terribly yeah oh no ashton agar <laughs> took you, it really you, well you, you didn't you, you were terrible ashton agar no. took it, took say. it magnificently well that's my point um you know they're, they're just a, they're just all-round classier people aren't they Aussies? Mm, yeah. what would you say? no agar yeah. is no is agar i'm happy with agar he's a lovely lovely fellow <laughs> he would have took um, it well but, but yeah, but they they are a bit confused, you know. That brought in Renshaw, left out Travis Head, and it, it shows that they can be spooked. I mean, India spooks everybody because of the pitches that get made. But it shows that, it, that they are capable of being spooked. And Basball could well spook them because they've got to come over and pretend that they don't care what England do because that's what it, it, you know. It's what everybody does. We don't, we're not interested in the opposition. It's what Dean Elgar said, isn't it? Famously, well, he clearly was a bit spooked because he made a really ridiculous decision in the second test did Elgar didn't he to um, to bat on a green top and leave out Marco Janssen having won the first test by an inning uh, and so you can see Australia potentially thinking overthinking what they've got to do against England and that does make the, a very very juicy prospect what I would say in mitigation and Jared Kimber it pains me to say so made a very good point on TalkSport which is that if you delve into the weeds of basketball England that'd be quite lucky so far in that Colin de Grandon got injured at New Zealand, which resulted in Carl Jameson having to bowl more than he should do and resulted in him being injured. India didn't pick Ashwin in their one-off game. South Africa made that utterly ridiculous error after being 1-0 up winning the first test in the series by an innings. Pakistan missed out on some of their best bowlers uh, through injury. And New Zealand, again, in this game, it looked like they were going to be defeated by ill luck when Matt Henry had a back spasm. So um, it's, uh, it's uh, I'm not saying one minute that what hasn't been achieved isn't absolutely unbelievable. It isn't unprecedented. England did win five test matches out of six in the Ashes winter of 1978-79 um, against a very poor Australian side. But they, I think they have, it's been the kind of the perfect storm at the perfect time. So Australia will be a genuinely magnificent test and that's why I think we are so extremely excited. Oh, it's just going to be so good. I can't, it's, it's the sporting event I'm most excited about this year. Although I'm a Liverpool fan, there's not too much to look forward to at the moment. But yeah, it's just the Ashes <laughs> is just going to be absolutely wonderful. Now, two very quick things that uh, before I want to move on to talk about uh, the England Women's World Cup semi-final against South Africa, but uh, where England lost another tight game. Uh, but a couple of things. First of all, Finney, your, your, your old pal, Stuart Broad, your old teammate, Stuart Broad, the headband. I think we need to discuss the headband because it was a weird weird thing that happened in, in that sort of COVID behind closed doors test series where people first started wearing headbands, which made no sense to me because it was the one time you couldn't use saliva, so you really needed to sweat. 
they all started wearing headbands, which made no sense to me at all. But Stuart Broads, he's sticking with the headband. And as a man who makes a fashion statement himself every now and then, Stephen Finn, we had the shaved head, we had the we had the earring. Um, what do you make about Stuart Broads' headband? Because for me, it needs to go. Well, I would counter that argument with, I think it's a superstitious thing. I think in the lockdown in 2020, Stuart Broadbold very well and took a lot of wickets. And he put that down to not 15 years of playing at the highest level and bowling some of the finest spells that England have ever seen. He put that down to him wearing the headband. And it's amazing where your head can get to when you're playing with your superstitions about things that you think that help you perform better. So some people might tie their shoelaces a certain way. Some people might pad up in a certain way. Jonathan Trott used to shine his box with his shirt as he stood to wait to bat. He wouldn't have his box in. He would be next in and he'd have his box in his left hand and he'd use his shirt to just shine the inside of his box. (laughs) What? What? what, How? But the thing is, that superstition had to start. So why did Jonathan Trott once start shining the inside of his box? Have you ever met Jonathan Trott? No, um, no, I haven't, but I I have heard the story. I have. (laughs) He's an absolute... I have, I have, and it makes makes total sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because like you say, Stuart Broad, okay, yes, he bowled very well in that, that sort of COVID bubble, but he had taken something like 400, test wickets before then without the headband but he's not thinking straight is that what you're saying no i think he's thinking perfectly straight he's just doing what makes his mind at ease when he goes out there to play cricket and the headband is is part of that i mean I, i've gone through phases of lucky pants and then the lucky pants get holes in and you sort of at a crossroads where you're like it's actually a bit of a disgrace that i'm still wearing these pants but they're lucky so i'm gonna have to stick with them until your testicles are hanging out the bottom of them and you're bowling. Um, and and that that's not a great thing to to have whilst you're running into bowl. But yeah, there, there are many things that cricketers do that to the outside world would seem unbelievably strange, but it's all geared towards making your mind clear when it comes to stepping out on the pitch. And the headband does that for Stuart Broad. Well, please tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod or send us a message on Instagram. Any superstitions you've seen at club level, we'd love to hear them at Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, so the other thing I want to talk about, and it happened in this test match, and I've been meaning to bring this up for ages, actually, is technology is here now, and it's very, very good. Unlike in football, cricket technology works pretty damn well 99% of the time. So this weird thing that happens now, and it happened with Devon Conway for New Zealand, where they snick off, the umpire doesn't give it, the fielding team then review it, and then the batsman stands around waiting to see that snicko come up on the technology. But they have to stand around for a couple of minutes, acting casual, knowing full well that in about two minutes' time, thousands of people are going to see that they did snick it, and then they have to do this walk-off. What are they playing at, Finney? Surely, I get standing your ground and the umpire not giving it and wait to see if the team appeal. But once they appeal, why don't they just save themselves the embarrassment of having to watch it come up and stick out and go, yeah, okay, fair enough. You got me. I'll walk. Well, I think everyone hopes that one day the technology will just (laughs) fail. And if you've already walked three quarters of the way off, it's like playing a game of chance or chicken where one day you're just going to get mowed down by the car. But, you know, you you take your chances until that day comes. Um, And that's sort of what waiting for the review to come around feels like. Because there have been instances like the, the Kane Williamson one was an interesting court down the leg side of Harry Brook because there was a small spike the frame before or two frames before 
and then another one as it passed the bat. Um, so he would have been stood there thinking, oh, maybe I've got away with it. Maybe I've got away with it. And then the, the technology picked it up. But I think everyone's just hoping for that one time that it fails so they can get away with them. That, that, I was thinking, I was like, that is the only explanation is they're thinking, oh, maybe Snicko's bust or something like that. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall because then they always go and all the fielding team go and huddle together and the two bats would go and huddle together. And Conway, for example, that I think he was with Tom Latham, I can't remember, must go up to him and be like, I've snicked it. And then, and then they're going to go, I don't know. Maybe it won't come up on the screen, and we'll get away with it. Like they, they know it at that point. Yeah, it's such but an... you try and act innocent. Like you, that's the thing. You look at them, and like they'll be saying it under their breath. The non-striker would say, "Did you hit that?" And they say, "Yeah, yeah, I think I hit it." But you're <laughs> trying to like not show your emotions. It's like playing poker. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just think it's the most embarrassing way you can get out now is not walking for a snick and then having it confirmed on the big screen. Right, we need to get into. <laughs> The uh, other narrow England loss this week. Again, what Basball's done for the psyche of England cricket fans, because I'm very chipper, considering we've lost two very tight games of cricket in the last week. But England did a South Africa against South Africa in the Women's T20 World Cup semi-final. No, no, no. They, uh, they had a bit of a horror show, a bit of a collapse from 132 for three. They ended up losing by six runs, 158 for eight they finished on. One person I do want to talk about, and it was the person that social media was talking about quite a lot, and uh, she was being talked about in the uh, Zero Dutch Given WhatsApp group as well, is Catherine Siver Brunt, who, bless her, she had a bit of a mare in the semi-finals. So if you didn't see the game, she, uh, she was getting very, very, very angry at her fellow teammates for not attacking the ball enough, the misfields, etc., Whilst not bowling particularly well, I, I hate to say it, Catherine, four overs not for 33, including a pretty pony last over as well. Alex Hartley on the comms of the BBC was saying that, you know, this young England team, they they hate being shouted at by Catherine Siverbrunt. It doesn't do anything for their confidence. We've talked a lot about Basball um, and Owen Morgan as well and his style of captaincy on this podcast about how it's, you know, letting people relax and enjoy their cricket and the freedom to go out there and express their self. Catherine Siverbrunt, she's old school. She she doesn't adhere to that new wave of thinking. Um, Finney, you must have played with... Who have you played with and against? Who are the angriest bowlers when they were bowling in terms of shouting at the fielders? Actually, friend of the podcast and someone that we may have on at some stage again, um, Graham Swan. Oh, yes. I was fucking yeah. terrifying. Because <laughs> obviously he's a spinner as well. So when the ball comes towards you, it's spinning um i i remember actually i misfielded one off him in india at square leg like india it, and it yeah. sort of came towards me and then it bounced and spun and just went straight through my legs at square leg and like you sort of run red faced and pick it up and throw it back in and you watch the replay and swanny's reaction when it goes through your legs that is one of just utter disdain and disgust and <laughs> i think swanny's been said it has been called on record before saying that Oh, why do you get so angry when people misfield? And he says, yeah, I, I hope their families become ill or stuff. Like <laughs> like he, um, he took it very personally, let's say. Oh, well, I mean, he was, he was really, me. he was really, mean. he was genuinely mean to you that, uh, and it wasn't just him as well, because it wasn't Brody playing in that series as well. There was, a, there was a lot of tetchiness from the two of them when there was fielding that wasn't great. And I remember you taking the brunt of it. I remember at the time being very upset for you. But it's actually again. You're smiling as you say this. You, you've got to. Yeah. You've got yeah. to. You got to learn from Devin Conway. You need a better poker face when you're telling I us. Do, I do. Telling us lies. <laughs> Stop smiling. Well, I don't, I don't, well yeah. uh, but I, th I do think that that Catherine, what Catherine did was 
was pretty unforgivable, but I think she also knows it. And it must be, I know that sounds crazy that I'm therefore wanting us to show some forgiveness, but she has always been a bit like this. I mean, it's not, this isn't a modern thing. She did it in her twenties and she'd get, she'd get furious with Lydia Greenway. It was at the time probably the best fielder in the world who dropped a, what would have been a screamer at backward point. I remember them both being doing, I think they're both doing a build up to a KSL finals day and Catherine still hadn't forgotten it and still brought it up, you know, years later, uh, because she's actually really, you know, strangely gentle when you talk to her off the pitch, but on it, she, she's extremely explosive and fiery. And part of it was because she was, I think, very conscious that her game wasn't up to standard during this World Cup. I mean, it wasn't just in the semi-final. She actually bowled. The first two overs were, were brilliant. And I've got a bit more criticism, although I didn't actually say it to Heather over the breakfast table. I was going to say this morning, but yesterday morning as I was leaving Cape Town. Because I thought Catherine should have bowled the fifth over in the power play. She should have bowled overs one, three, and five because she was in a really good groove. Um, when she came back in the last two overs, actually the penultimate over again wasn't that bad. There was a couple of misfields that gave away twos instead of ones. Uh, but her last over was diabolical and was the difference between the sides. And she'd previously bowled an appalling final over against India. And she'd actually struggled really for rhythm throughout the tournament. So I think the high standards that she set herself, the pressure that she put on herself, and what knowing it was her last World Cup, because she'd said beforehand that it was going to be that, and with her having white line fever and having always had white line fever, it was just a kind of perfect storm that I, I'm absolutely certain, you know, she's embarrassed about when she's like punching her fist on the ground uh, and, and just getting so terribly heated and emotional. But it did also, though, point to the difference, I thought, between um, the sides that could challenge Australia and, the, and, the, and Australia. Because the difference between them, having watched the entire World Cup, was actually not that the Australians hit it further and harder. And it wasn't that they bowled more accurately. They gave away wides, just like England did. It was a very similar number, actually. Um, they batted surprisingly slowly for a lot of the tournament. They didn't take an awful lot of risks. What they did do was they turned every possible two they could get into a two. They stopped every possible ball they could stop on the boundary. They were just so much fitter they're so much stronger at doing all those things they probably make 10 runs with the bat and they probably save 10 to 15 runs with the ball and that 25 runs is actually the difference the basic skills when you watched Harman Preet against them I mean she was by far and away the, the best bat on show that day um, except possibly Jamima Rodriguez both of them were more dynamic than anything that the Australians produced but in the field they would just dreadful by comparison. They were 20, 30 runs worse off, and they only lost a game by six runs. Similarly, you know, I think if England played against Australia, you'd probably end up with a similar result to the one that South Africa had, but South Africa are a much worse side, you'd say, woman for woman than Australia, but they only ended up losing by 13 or 19 odd runs, and that was, a lot of that was very poor running and very pedestrian fielding. They're just not as professional, they're not as fit, and they're not as fast. And I think that's a positive, actually, because it means that Australia isn't just producing super women who are always going to be better. There's the 
chance for all these other countries actually to catch up if their women are properly supported, made properly professional and spend enough time on those basics like running between the wickets and the Carbon Preet Corps. She, she got out dawdling, basically. And the beautiful thing about Australia was that they knew they got out of jail there. And Alyssa Healy, in women's cricket, people always have sympathy for someone when it goes bad. Alyssa Healy said, I've got no sympathy for her. She was dawdling. It's her own fault. Because her back got stuck, if you recall. She was trying to run it in. Her back got stuck. A technique for running it in was rubbish. But she was dawdling. And Alyssa Healy's absolutely right. And that is the kind of horrible, robotic brilliance of the Australians that they play a much more efficient game than anybody else. Yeah, completely. I mean, Australia are just, you know, I, I despite the fact that I was blindly loyal to Willingham throughout and constantly said they were definitely going to win the tournament, this Australia team is just absolutely ridiculous. And actually, for the sake of the women's international game, it would be good if those other teams do start to catch up sooner rather than later because Australia are so far clear at the moment. Um, but it was also wonderful to see South Africa getting to the final as the host nation. I mean, we talk a lot about women's sport in this country being behind the men's game and how much it's improving. But, I mean, compare that to South Africa and uh, we are miles ahead of South Africa. So it was a huge moment for women's sport in South Africa. And I know that South African team was so proud of what they achieved and rightly so. Uh, so it's probably a bit like England losing to New Zealand in that test match. If you're going to lose to somebody... I feel like South Africa was a good side to yeah. lose to in the T20 World Cup. Uh, now, a couple of statistics before I say goodbye that I want to bring up. So, first of all, Zach Crawley, who is under flack again after his big 100 in Pakistan, Zach Crawley averages more than Virat Kohli in test matches since 2020. Zach Crawley oh. has a batting average of 28.12. Virat Kohli has a batting average of 26.13. Since 2020. So Zach Crawley is better than Virat Kohli. And it's worth mentioning that and Virat that. Kohli can't catch a cold at the minute as well. He keeps dropping everything. So Kohli's a has been. He's gone. His game's finished. They need to, you know, to take him out the way of old Yeller, take him to pasture, take him to the glue factory. Uh, that's the first thing. I'm vulnerable here. I'm vulnerable. I'm in bloody <laughs> India. Can I, like, you're talking about how my willingness to exploit slight loopholes in accessibility cues is not the uh, attitudes and beliefs of zero ducks given i'd like to make it absolutely clear on the record <laughs> that virat Kohli is the finest individual on, on the face of the planet and will be for at least the next two weeks <laughs> very diplomatically done uh, and finney i want to i want to come to you next so uh, i was on a podcast who was a part of the same podcast group that we are on and uh, it's going out in a few weeks' time. It's called Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. And it's a great listen. And it's all about club cricket. So it's all about the beautiful game, proper cricket, club cricket. And I was a guest on their podcast recently. Uh, and they gave me some statistics. So Stephen Finn, they compared me and you as fast bowlers. Okay. Um, in what that, regard? Well, first of all, my career bowling average, my career bowling average career. is 19.54 compared to your measly bowling average of just over 29. First of all, your reaction to that, please, Stephen Finn? Well, it's a completely ridiculous argument, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why is it a ridiculous argument? Norcross, you can play judge on this, okay? Why is it a ridiculous argument, Stephen Finn? Well, because you, you play against fellas who... I was going to be rude there. I mean, you... The standard of cricket that you're playing is particularly bad. Particularly bad. Okay. Um, well, it is. Well, no, no, no. This is, I just want I just want Norcross to be the judge here. I just want Norcross to be the judge here because Norcross, um, first of all, I'd like to play. 
say I've played a pretty high standard. Sorry, Division yeah. One, just below the Prem. It's a decent standard. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, I'd like to point out, you know, Finney has had, you know, he's been pampered with, you know, the best coaches, the best physios, all the best yep. help that a bowler could get, you know, uh, you know, technology to analyze every single yep. inch of his game. I don't have any of that. Um, but here's the other point I want to make, Stephen Finn and uh, Daniel Norcross, if you could be the judge of this. So I thought fair play, Finney's played at a decent standard. So I thought, well, why don't we find Finney's play cricket stats, right? In 2020, Stephen Finn played a game of club cricket. I did actually. Yeah. I played, did I play two? I think I played you two. You played actually. two games of club cricket, yeah. Daniel Norcross. Stephen Finn, oh, yeah. in 2020, at club level, took two wickets at an average of 25.5. Okay. Oh, two for 51. Right. Yeah. Toby Tarrant, in that same year, took 16 wickets at an average of 11.6 in 40. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's a yeah. Club level yeah, but you're playing course. Surrey. You're you're in effect playing Surrey Division Two, and I'm playing Middlesex Premier League there in that year. But but sixteen oh, wait, wickets wait, wait, at eleven. Sorry, Surrey Div Two is much higher than Middlesex. Yeah, it's not. Oh, please, like, can't. Don't like, make me it's sick. Like, it's like, it's like Cornwall you're joking. and Devon Listen combined. Listen to yourself, mate. You know, Just will yourself back to that airport security. <laughs> <laughs> Middlesex so Prem, but I mean, really, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a county that doesn't exist for a start. How do they find any any teams to play in the well, middle? That's why right. all the players are it's mythical. That's what makes it so good. <laughs> uh, I mean, so I just just something for you to. I know that you're, you're, you've got some overnight shifts. Well, when you're staring blankly at England versus Bangladesh for Sky Sports in the next few next few days, for you, just remember that at the most recent time that we both played club cricket, I far far out bold you and I just well, want you unsurprisingly to the only time I ever think about you is when you message saying can we do the podcast at midnight tonight that's the only time that I think about you in my week so let's not kid ourselves that I'm going to be thinking whilst I'm watching international cricket about Toby Tarrant because I won't Norcross whilst that was happening did, did you just have a shit <laughs> um well, I hoped you wouldn't notice, really, but I've got, I've been, I've got a lot to you notice. You're on Zoom in your bathroom. I just saw you sit <laughs> on a toilet, stand up, and now you're washing your hands. What do you mean I hoped you wouldn't notice? You do realise this camera works both ways? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I didn't quite. I thought I might just have like, toggled my way around it in a way that you might not have I haven't eaten yet. I'm trying to fit a lot in. I might get to bed. It's very <laughs> difficult being me, but well, like KP. Just, just so you know, the Middlesex Premier League that Daniel Norcross insulted the standard of your cricket whilst <laughs> sat on a toilet in India. <laughs> and now he's wiping his hands, smiling once again. Uh, and I think on that note, we should say goodbye. But chaps, it's been emotional and uh, I'll see you next week. Bye. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.